Hi, welcome to Society again. It's Corey Trefletti, and I am here with Mohammed Al-Gaish, who is our chief architect and uh, one of the co-founders for Voicea. And I'm lucky enough, I've had to reschedule on him a couple of times. He's rescheduled on me. So we finally got a chance to sit down. So thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, all right. I always start with the same question with everybody, because not everybody who listens knows all these people. So can you give a little bit of background on how you got to be where you are right now, which is in a chair in this room with me? Sounds good. Yeah. So before Voicea, I used to work at LinkedIn and uh, my team there was responsible for um, the news feed that the homepage you see when you log in, the updates you get from your network and other sources. Uh, it was building the infrastructure for the machine learning behind it and some of the models and basically personalization around that. And before LinkedIn, um, I used to work at Microsoft where my team was responsible for the uh, email delivery, so uh, talking to older email services like Gmail and Yahoo and whatnot, uh, we were handling about like a um, few billion emails a, a day. And uh, some of it was like to do with anti-spam and a little bit of machine learning there. And uh, before that, I used to work on infrastructure, building something very similar to like what AWS provides, but internally at Microsoft, it's a platform as a service for uh, hundreds of thousands of machine machines and uh, data centers uh, management. And um, before that, it was Visual Studio. So it's one of the tools used uh, by developers all over the world and uh, one of the best Microsoft products. Mm -hmm. um, so um, on the side, I also um, co-authored a book about data science and uh, machine learning, uh, basically for people who come from a different background other than computer science, trying to bridge the gap uh, with um, the uh, expertise of uh, my ex-manager at LinkedIn, uh, both of us uh, co-authored the, the book that basically targets um, people who came from a background similar to mine or people who came from a background similar to like uh, machine learning researchers and you want to really bridge that skill gap between machine learning and big data engineering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where's that book available? Oh, everywhere. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. And, and what brought you into a company like Microsoft and what brought you into LinkedIn in the first place? What was the attraction to go into one of those kinds of companies? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I didn't realize it at first. Uh, when I first just wanted to work on a very hard problem, very big company, like, you know, the reputation of like helping millions of users, I wanted to work at Microsoft, like literally out of colleges, you know, very focused on that company and dream job kind of uh, way of thinking. And then once I got in and I started realizing that I can work with my coaches on like, what is it I'm really interested in working on? Um, my mission statement was very clear that I've been working on uh, communication systems or helping people connect and communicate, uh, whether that's through the developer tools that developers use to help you know each other build software. Uh, so my focus was actually on version control, which allows teams to like work together and collaborate. Um, and then working on Outlook.com and Microsoft Exchange it was a platform helping everybody to like send emails and collaborate. Working at LinkedIn was also collaboration. And guess what we're doing today? Yeah. 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 So you see the theme there. Yeah. Now, you went, you specifically wanted to work at a company like Microsoft. Then you ended up at LinkedIn, which is another big behemoth type of a company that's yeah. really innovating, but it's still a big company. Right. What extracted you out? What got you excited to say, I'm going to go into a tiny company that's going to have three other people? 
Yeah, I was going to say it's um, big dreams, big problems, and even harder challenges that a slow-moving company cannot really solve. Mm -hmm. So if you really think about what is going on in terms of the trends of the technology today, uh, we're very lucky to be living in this era where we're able to solve problems that were not easy to solve before. So if you think specifically about AI, and um, anytime we refer to AI, maybe in this context, we'll, we'll actually think more of like augmented intelligence instead of like artificial, mm -hmm. um, because we're really trying to like make people more productive and uh, give them something like, like an exoskeleton, right? Um, that makes them more like able to do more things mm -hmm. in uh, uh, ways they never thought about before. So we're not trying to replace jobs or anything. So the AI we're trying to build here um, is actually the right time to work on these kind of uh, problems. We think of the motives uh, of like you know like the dream or the vision and the technology, which is now like the right time is the right time to work on it. Um, if you think of the, the factors involved, there are usually three things, more or less, that allows innovation in AI. There's the data. So now we've been more than ever digitizing almost everything, you know, our text messages, our conversations, right? Uh, that's our focus here. And like our emails and more and more records are digitized. And then there's the compute power. Right, we've always heard about GPUs and TPUs and all of these like big, big machines crunching the data, and finally the human talent and algorithms and like all the advances in um, research that allowed us to actually take the data, crunch the data on these big machines, and in a very you know efficient ways that allowed us today to come to this table and talk about like voice recognition systems that were not really easy you know, to like um, build like maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So the environment is set up for this time for a fast moving company like ours to take that space and think of like, how can we make people more productive? And the dream I had, you know, along the, the uh, mission is that we are helping others in, in their work environments do more. And by doing this, they can focus on things that really you know, matter instead of mundane tasks. Yeah. You hit on something there that I've, I've seen, I've heard, and I even maybe have written that the kinds of problems that we're solving now, you couldn't have solved 10 years ago. Maybe even you couldn't have solved them five years ago. Explain for a minute or two why. Why could not, why could those not have been solved 10 years ago? Right. So think of like our current challenges, right? Um, usually when it comes specifically to like machine learning or AI, there's an art and there's a science part to it. So one of the things we usually do is that we run a lot of experiments because some of the uh, hypotheses we build need to be proven or disproven. And the more experiments you run, uh, the higher chances of success or the more coverage you get of like all the ideas you, you get and like, you apply. So back in the day when you had an idea, especially with machine learning, and you want to test it, test that hypothesis, it might have taken you months or weeks to get it, you know, proven or disproven, and mm -hmm. you can see the outcome. Uh, today, depending on the problem, it could be in the order of 
days to hours. So literally that cycle time became much shorter and the availability of data was actually a big blocker back in the day. Like sometimes it's just infeasible to try to collect the data that you mm -hmm. want to try, you know, and, and train on, you use that, uh, we use the term training to actually, you know, build the model. So either the scarcity of data or the slowness of the uh, compute uh, power was, uh, these things were really big challenges. Uh, today, both of these barriers are much lower, and uh, we we have the talent and we have the algorithms to actually help us, you know, do this much faster. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things we we always struggle with as um, uh, researchers or uh, engineers in the machine learning world is the quality of the data. That's still a challenge, but it's much easier today than it was 10 years ago. And is your background, is it computer? Is it data and, and research? What, 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 what were you trained to go do? Yeah, I'm trained uh, to be a computer scientist. So Got it. programmer, developer. My passion led me towards the machine learning aspect of things and the big data you know, experience I gathered from like working on big problems like the one at Microsoft or the one at LinkedIn. Uh, and also what we cover in like computing with data with you know other companies you you kind of uh, build that you know experience from mm -hmm. working on the job and um, rubbing shoulders with others who've done or solved similar problems and um, I, I honestly think in the future data is the new code future is now actually that data started becoming more more useful than uh, it's ever been before and we noticed that, like, you know, the difference between the way of thinking back in the day, you kind of have a deterministic way of thinking of problem solving. Like I need a database system that I can like do some data entry and do some analysis on top of the data I have. Today, we're talking more about like non-deterministic systems. Mm -hmm. For example, like the uh, all the perceptual tasks we do with computers like vision and speech recognition. Uh, it's really, really challenging, almost impossible to have a set of rules or a big system that you code all like these rules to actually make a prediction about what was perceived by, by the computer. Uh, so you need to have vast amounts of data, high quality data that help you with solving these problems. And, and I, I think it was last summer, I had asked you this question to explain to me the difference between AI at, with ML and the old type of programming. And you had said the old programming was rules-based, whereas the new one is more experience-based. Is that accurate? Yeah, very close Like the uh, what I would describe it today, which is basically, if you think of any program, how like you know how we do like the classical way of like programming today, with well, a deterministic list of rules, you basically are telling the machine instructions, here's some input, do some processing, produce this output. If X, then Y. Pretty much, right. right? And at any level, no matter how complex the system is, if you spend enough time and effort, you can go deeper and understand all the small building blocks of like how it was built and how these building blocks communicate you know, with each other. While the other way of thinking about like, you know, programming for machine learning or how a system, uh, an AI system, builds that kind of like experiential, like, you know, model, it looks at examples of mapping between if you see this, then this is the output. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, if you think of it, the simplest form of it is basically 
a big formula. It's very complex. It could mean, you know, contain um, hundreds of millions or billions of parameters. So if you think of like AX plus B equals Y, imagine having a billion terms mm -hmm. equals Y. Mm -hmm. And we basically don't hard code these terms manually. It's just by looking at hundreds of thousands of examples of not millions and building up, you know, some formula that gives you the output. But are you giving it enough data or are you basically saying you have to have enough data so that rather than saying if X, then Y, you basically are allowing it to say if X and you can't figure out Y, make a decision on your own? It's almost like it's learning all of these like different terms mm -hmm. or factors. Mm -hmm. So it tries to learn a representation of the input and try to like project each factor or feature mm -hmm. and basically how much weight does it have in the decision making. But it could never have done that unless you had enough data to inform the system. It would just make a weak prediction. Got yeah, got it. So what happens then say from today to five years from now, 10 years from now, do these systems just get infinitely more accurate, infinitely more confident in themselves? That's a really tough question. Yeah. I uh, haven't thought about how the evolution it's going to be in the learning accuracy. It's definitely hard to predict how the future is going to look like. But if we think of like the evolution of the factors that led to the current environment we have, where we have a lot of data that is improving in terms of quantity and quality and more compute resources, then I would say the gap between um, what a human you know, would, would do like in terms of like certain task automation and the machine will shrink. Mm -hmm. How by how much it's it's really hard to say, but I wouldn't think of it as infinitely improving. I would just say that uh, right now most computers are able to solve problems that the humans can do within a second or mm -hmm. so. Maybe it would be able to solve more problems that humans can do within a minute or an hour. Um, certain perceptual tasks are harder than others. For example, like speech recognition is actually more challenging than vision. So I, I predict that we're going to see a lot of breakthroughs in certain areas where it's been more challenging, like speech recognition, where data has been a big barrier. Mm -hmm. like representative, high-quality data has been a big barrier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the role that you have right now and how it changes in the next two, three years? What, what is the things you anticipate will probably be most affected in your day-to-day? -day? Okay, so I think about this in terms of um, just being a knowledge worker, yeah. generally speaking, and uh, the kind of access I have to like tools that allows me to do more and perform my job. Uh, for example, as a knowledge worker, um, just having access to you know, tools like the internet or you know, a fast machine has been really, really productive uh, or helping a lot of people do more work in the last decade. So imagine if I come to you tomorrow and say, hey, Corey, you know, you're not allowed to use a browser. Mm -hmm. Probably you will still be able to do some work, mm -hmm. but it's not the same kind of like, you know, uh, feeling that you would get. You just feel uneasy that like something is missing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I think of like all the tools we've been building um, collectively in the past couple of years using AI, augmented intelligence, as the, akin to a new browser that opens up a new uh, portal or it gives you access to more um, effective ways of doing things. So one of the things I really like 
envision in the future that you will have a some sort of intelligence that allows you to create things just using natural UI. So natural UI, which subsumes voice, imagine if you can just type to your computer or you know talk to your computer and say something like, I really want to build a dashboard that shows me quarter over quarter the customer acquisition sliced and diced by these factors. And you don't have to actually use you know, the dashboard controls. It just understands you and builds that for you automatically. Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect of it as a knowledge worker. The other aspect I think about, about is basically as a programmer slash like, you know, um, machine learning engineer and architect. Um, we see a lot of like new tools and frameworks coming to the market, which helps us a lot with experimentation. So back in the day, people used to build almost everything from scratch when they want to experiment like on GPUs or build, you know, some models. Um, now there are a lot of like scaffolding and they can stand on top of like giants, shoulders of uh, giants. So like you have frameworks like TensorFlow and PyTorch and all of these like tools. I imagine in the future, they're going to go a bit deeper and help you even more. Uh, so they will come up with a lot of like building blocks that allows a lot of people, not just like, you know, machine learning researchers to input data and get some model. And everybody can actually start thinking of like machine learning as if it's SQL. So a lot of the, you know, non-computer science jobs today kind of require SQL or some SQL expertise or data manipulation, data understanding. Um, maybe in the future, we'll just think of machine learning as important as like knowing Excel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can learn some machine learning Absolutely. eventually. Yeah. I know Excel really well. That's good. <laughs> um, so, okay, let me switch gears for a second too. You're responsible for a lot of the voice command stuff and things that we're working on here. You know, where, where do you look to for inspiration? Obviously, I think a lot of people are going to look at Amazon and Alexa, but where do you look for the inspiration? Is it them? Is it other companies? Are there smaller companies that are really doing a lot of innovative things that you try to, to glean information and insight from? Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting question because they're, of course, the known like, player, players, the big players in the market. Uh, so you got Alexa with like uh, being basically a pioneer in introducing like a smart speaker. I had one. Um, since it came out. Um, you also have Cortana, let's not forget about that. We had, a, a while I was at Microsoft, I was lucky to be one of the first 500 beta testers for the Kinect uh, while it was being developed. And Kinect really did a great job in the beginning, understanding commands. And it was like a, the first introduction to a device that sits in your living room that I know of and just integrates with your entertainment system. And it was a magic moment when you say like, you know, hey, Cortana, do this, and it just happens, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I look for inspiration um, with, with the big players, but there's also um, a very, like, um, new like a new entrant to the ecosystem uh, that I think has been in the works for years. So uh, Viv, which is now Samsung's Bixby, um, that came from the co-founders of Siri. Mm-hmm. And they have a totally different take on this whole like ecosystem. So m- we might have to take a deeper look here and go a little bit technical. But if you think of like all of these like existing devices and assistants, so Alexa and Google Assistant, uh, which are actually powered more or less by their uh, counterpart frameworks, like Alexa is powered by Lex. And it's very similar. Maybe it's not necessarily powered by it in the back end, but we know that the 
are very similar. And Google Home and Google Assistant, they're basically using something very similar to what they uh, have in Dialogflow or API.ai, which is the company Google acquired. And the idea why we're talking about these two you know, systems is that they take your input. And I'm now going to focus more on like how the assistant works um, and how it communicates with the rest of the ecosystem and the skills or agents they have. Uh, because no matter what you know a company does, it's not going to fulfill like the hundred million things you would want to build on top of. Like if you know you don't have a, a skill system or an app store, it's not going to scale out to all the you know the consumers out there. So basically, imagine you walk to a room, you talk to one of these assistants, and you say some command. They basically take that speech and convert it to a an intent. Or basically, you want to know which other agent to dispatch, whether it's you know first party or third party, and um, they dispatch or give that task to that agent, and basically they give you the task in a structured way. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest challenges in speech recognition uh, is the conversion from or understanding the unstructured data and making sense of it as structured data. And mm-hmm. this is something we actually are working really hard uh, to achieve here at Fusia. So they do take the speech, which is unstructured, and they dispatch or give that um, maybe the upper skill or the you know a tableau skill or pick any skill that you have. They give it basically um, what intent the user asked for and some parameters, some metadata about the intent. Like for example, if you ask the other app, what's the weather in San Francisco? Imagine something like the username is X, Y, and Z, and the query location is San Francisco, and the weather app can respond based on the question, which is like, what's the weather in San Francisco? It doesn't have to know how to process the query, mm-hmm. it just knows how to process structured data. Okay. Now, how is this different from the vision that uh, folks at VIV have? Uh, they think of the world as uh, having kind of a holistic assistant that knows a lot more than just how to dispatch things and moving moving it from you know unstructured to structured forms. So they think of like a world of services where the assistant can learn from you personally which ones you use and try to figure out which service to call. And sometimes it would actually take the output of one service and feed it into another service. So even though the folks at uh, Alexa just announced something recently at Remars where they can carry context between different skills. So if you ask, for example, like um, about where's the game in San Francisco and then you ask Uber, okay, take me to the game, they might understand that you want to go to the stadium in Mm -hmm. San Francisco. Uh, But that's maybe a little bit constrained because it's scenario-based. But at VIF, for example, you have this like very flexible, almost you know trainable or um, coachable assistant that knows who you are and tries to like link these inputs and outputs in a way that's um, kind of seamless and it answers very very complicated mm. queries and commands. So there are two ways of thinking about it, maybe more. Uh, but it's interesting to see how this is going to play out. Uh, one of the things that Amazon did very well in the beginning is that they started with a very limited set of skills, very limited and constrained command set. But these were the ones that everybody was using. And then they went really hard and really strong 
on distribution to like um, all of these like, devices they have, it's a very strong ecosystem and also attracted a lot of the skill developers to the platform. Yeah. So now you get a lot of coverage of all of these scenarios, even though you may or may not use them, you might just remember one or two, yeah. but that's actually a very good big success story when you're using the speaker every day. Yeah, I think that the smartest thing they did was open up the marketplace as quickly as they did. Because yeah. they had so many people then developing and helping them to figure out what was going to be useful, what wouldn't be useful, and then build from there. Absolutely. Yeah, you can have a platform and distribution. And if you have a really strong ecosystem, I think it would allow a lot of people to come up with ideas and the sky is their limit. Got it. Well, we're getting near to the end. So my question for you for us to wrap this up is, what are you excited about for the next year? What do you think is the most interesting thing in your day-to-day -day job that you look forward to right now? Yeah, so a lot of things. Uh, it's going to be hard to pick one. one. Yeah, it's going to uh, be hard to pick one of the favorites. So uh, for sure, one of the things we are very excited about um, would be the voice-first experience that you would get at your workplace or at the enterprise ecosystem where you can, if you think of like a what happens in your living room today when you walk into a, you know your room you have a speaker there and you can actually start you know doing things so you perform actions like turn on the lights mm -hmm. or play music if you take this experience and you take it to the workplace what can be done so we're focused a lot on like the user experience especially with like a voice in the enterprise it's a bit different uh, it's not as low risk as you know saying something in your living room that you didn't uh, intend. And for us, it's very important to be a very high value, very low interruption rate. So if you think of like having your assistant uh, next to you in a meeting, what can you do? So a lot of people want to be more effective, right? And they want to do things fast and just have productive meetings. Now, we want everybody to have the same set of tools that can allow them to do this. Um, and the nice thing about having an AI to do it is it's very cheap, right? So we can be that platform uh, that a lot of people come to either as you know users or as developers and start saying stuff like, okay, as a company, what's my voice strategy? I wanna be at all these workplaces and I want to help others be more productive and one way of doing this is using voice as an input method and as a communication method. And I think we've been uh, focused really hard on like integrating with workflows. So for example, if I'm in a meeting and I want to create a task for you, I just say, okay, Eva, create a task for Corey to publish this podcast next week. And you go to your desk or your laptop and you see there's a task on the system that you use. Like in this example, it could be Trello and it has a deadline and you can just, you know, see that it's in your inbox mm -hmm. so we don't have to like you know spend time on a mundane task which is i have to remember after the meeting to tell you exactly what to do it and and that's you know the whole like uh, premise of making people more productive in meetings uh, another thing i'm also very excited about is just generally speaking as a machine learning company as an ai company is advancing the status quo we do a lot of research uh, applied research and we always are um, trying to get to the next level of like highest accuracy possible for all of the speech recognition tasks we're interested in and we're tackling, whether it's transcription, um, keyword spotting, 
and other like you know aspects of like natural language understanding and processing. So there's a lot of challenges there, and the more we actually uh, solve, the more exciting the problems uh, get, and uh, working on them is always rewarding. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time, Gish. And um, I'm looking forward to pulling this one together. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.